0: Welcome to the DEP podcast channel. We sincerely hope you will enjoy this episode. Don't forget to turn on your notification bell and to follow us right here on Spotify for more podcast episodes. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're joining us today. Thank you so much and welcome back to DDP Podcasts. I'm very excited for uh, this particular podcast segment in alignment with our migration project month if you have not been following our social media platforms um this month i trust that you will get some hint of what it is we've been trying to cover this month um in celebrating um migrants in south africa but overall um migrant issues and bringing attention to um those particular issues within the south african context um the migration conference is actually happening on the 29th of september um obviously RSVPs to join at the venue itself are closed at this point but you're more than welcome to join us through the live stream on youtube or on our facebook page um, and all details regarding that are available on the ddp uh social media platforms um With that housekeeping out of the way, I am very honored to introduce our guest uh, for this podcast. Joining me today is David Kabwa. And he's got many titles, but the one that we've actually chosen to um, highlight for today is that David is a South African ambassador to the United 2030 um, initiative. And very excited to have a conversation with you, David. David's longer bio is attached right here on the on the podcast information detail. So you can go ahead and quickly check that out to make sure that he is, in fact, credible um, to be having this conversation with us. Uh, but before we start with anything, David, uh, how are you doing? Uh, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much, Yanga. look forward to a fantastic uh, conversation, one that is very pertinent, one that is very timious, and uh, one that is very critical to what we see happening not only in South Africa but in the world. So thank you for having me.
0: Great. Uh, David, we can just go right into it. Um, I think, you know, matters of uh, migration are somewhat scattered for a lot of people Um, What is a migration issue in Italy, which I think is a very uh, interesting country right now, um, versus what is a migration issue in Norway? um, Or what is a migration issue within the African context? um, Something that is very, very different. But I wanna ask you, in your opinion, what does migration look like uh, in the 21st century?
1: I appreciate that. And again, I think it's a really good question. Um, Traditionally, when we think of migration, we think about migration in the context of forced migration, um, being that uh, people are trying to escape something, be it a war, uh, be it famine, uh, essentially any kind of situation and circumstance that um, creates a situation where one cannot stay in their country of origin. Uh, for whatever reason. And what we've seen in the 21st century is a rise in economic uh, migration, uh, which essentially has to do with one of the biggest driving factors behind migration being that of economics. And in the 21st century, and particularly the African context, we've seen a bigger rise in the form of uh, economic migration. Um, Although uh, we do have a lot of non-state actors and uh, very kind of porous uh, borders um, in terms of what is happening in the African uh, continent, what we are seeing is that one of the biggest motivating factors is people are driven by uh, creating a better economic means for themselves, for their families and just improving life. Uh, So it is not uncommon in Africa to have um, a family where uh, the breadwinner is living in one African country, um, sending money back home to another. And uh, where you'll find um, border crossings uh, on the regular, uh, this seems to be one of uh, the most uh, prevalent uh, factors that we are experiencing. Um, So definitely 21st century migration Um, a lot more economic in nature, but it does not negate uh, the role that forced migration still play.
0: Um, Given the economic um, migration that is occurring, how do you think the xenophobic ideas, particularly here in South Africa, have come up um, as a result of this economic migration?
1: I appreciate that. And uh, again, a very pertinent question. I actually had um, the exact same question last week during the International Day commemorating piece, where I was uh, engaging with the African Mediation Association. And um, there was a a young man from Nigeria who asked uh, the same question, which is always pressing. Um, So I've always held uh, the view that what we are experiencing in South Africa is not so much xenophobia, it is Afrophobia. And um, the reason why I use that term deliberately is because when we speak of a disconnect between uh, foreign nationals and South Africans in particular, it seems to be skewed towards foreign nationals from other African countries. Um, This is where the main uh, focus seems to be. Uh, It does not uh, negate um, the uh, difficulties that foreign nationals from non-African contextualities uh, are facing, um, but we are seeing that the focus seems to be on Africa. Now, um, the, the reason for this, in my view, is uh, essentially a um, disconnect in terms of uh, proper communication for a variety of reasons. There are politically motivated factors, as we mentioned there are economically motivated factors and then obviously socially motivated factors so the politics behind it all you might have heard of a familiar group uh, referred to as operation gadula and uh, essentially uh, what this group um, seeks to do um, according to uh, their own communications is simply ensure the empowerment of south african people and that uh, should anyone um, seek to prosper in the country, they must do so in a way that is um, legal. Uh, Yet, it seems that most of the activism they participate in seems to target uh, non-South African Africans living in uh, South Africa. Um, And uh, the belief there is that this is very highly politically motivated and in an economic context there is the unfortunate uh, misinterpretation that um, a foreign national in South Africa um, is uh, going to remove the economic agency of, of non-South Africans by engaging in trade, particularly in the informal sector, which has caused concern for some people with uh, the belief that because it is in the informal sector, it is not highly uh, regulated, therefore, Um, The Afrophobia manifests in um, some South Africans seeking to regulate it themselves by whatever means necessary. And then um, lastly, in terms of, uh, again, what we're seeing with um, the third contextuality, I think it is very much um, kind of indicative of the fact that we simply misunderstand um, the, the facts of the matter. It is a highly emotional space. It is a highly emotional time. Um, our country, much like many countries, have very difficult issues. And what we find is that when we are able to, quote-unquote, identify the root cause of that issue, we become uh, very passionate in the pursuit of rectifying a perceived wrong. Uh, Now, the issue then comes in that that perceived wrong is pointed uh, towards uh, foreign nationals and migrants, hence the disconnect that we see in the form of Afrophobia, uh, in particular the view and the belief that uh, you are not rightfully here, um, and therefore your being here is to my disadvantage, and I must do something about it. Uh, It is why I believe platforms such as this and the work that organizations have been doing is so important because not only does it uh, allow for agency but it allows for education. Uh, Miscommunication breeds dissatisfaction and that often leads to very negative effects and the best way to mitigate that um, is to ensure clear communication. Clear communication occurs when the relevant facts are provided And I believe platforms such as this uh, create that opportunity.
0: There we go. Um, You know, you're absolutely right about um, how people respond to to, to migration issues. I think um, particularly this month, as we've been promoting this type of content, um, one might think that you know, this Afrophobia is something that is limited to the streets going up to a foreign national and physically attacking them. Um, But these views um, transcend beyond that. I mean, some of the engagement um, and some of the comments that we've gotten um, from South Africans, um, you know, given that most of the time their accounts are ghost accounts, but we know that there's definitely a person behind it um, where they kind of spewing that narrative that why are you guys even promoting these kinds of things? These people are coming to um, take our jobs and they're coming to ruin the economy and all of that. Um, and it's it's a global phenomenon, right? It's not just something that is um, a South African issue and how people engage with migration stuff. Um, just looking at the Italian politics very recently um, with the new prime minister, one of the big key issues that she's pushing for is um, clamping down, so to speak, on um more mi- migrants that are coming into Italy, not even necessarily for an economic benefit, but because they are genuinely fleeing. Um, but they don't see it like that. It's this idea of preserving national identity or whatever that actually means. But that's a debate for another day. Um, But I just wanted to bring a little bit more on a a practical level, the effects this um, economic migration might have on policies such as, um, well, they're not being implemented yet, but the vision is there, a policy such as the African Free Trade uh, Continental Agreement. How does um, economic migration affect that?
1: Right. So, sorry for that. I appreciate that, uh, which is, again, a very, very good question. And um, the African Free continental trade area essentially seeks to create a new economic block, which is something that I'm very excited about and I think is very, very necessary. Um, to give you an example, we have uh, very many agreements on the continent. Um, I will not refer to particular countries in this instance, but uh, there are certain countries. Uh, states we have with uh laws for trade that simply do not make sense i would have to ship something off the continent to ship it back onto the continent in another country Um, these are policy directives that simply make uh, no sense Um, when we look at one of the most predominant uh, trading blocks that we see in the world today that being the european union um, it allows for Uh, essentially free movement, free trade, and what has uh, empowered um, Europe to becoming a strong regional entity um, with a great level of agency in the world. Um, Your example pertaining to the new Italian uh, prime minister, I think, is one that is very topical and very pertinent. And the reason for that is because one of the biggest disputes around um, the Ukrainian crisis, the war between Russia and Ukraine um has been on uh, the question of refugees has been on the question of uh the movement of peoples and how that affects uh, the economic block and just very very briefly um one it, it is believed that um president putin has been motivated by three factors the one being economic the other one being social and the other one being security for obvious reasons i'll touch on only the economic uh, matter for the purpose of this conversation linking it back to migration um, so the belief has been, if uh, Ukraine can join the European Union, then uh, the resources of Ukraine can be better distributed within the EU. Uh, the current modus operandi before the war has been a, a great level of engagement with Russia, and then through Russia engaging uh, with Ukraine as far as uh, resource allocation and uh, kind of economic agency. So there was some very uh, interesting uh, arrangements in that regard now the reason why i bring this up in relation to the african free continental trade area is because within the european union what we have seen is when there has been a disconnect within and i use this word again within um you know the the area of uh, trade uh, the ripple effect on the entire union Uh, has been felt and resonates within the space of migration as well. Now, the African free continental trade area, as I believe we are all familiar with, um, seeks to essentially allow for better trade on the African uh, continent um, to ensure that uh, some of the policies uh, in place that are not beneficial. Um, to Africa as a continent do not become an impediment to our ability to trade um, in an intra-African uh, manner. And what, uh, what we find is that um, there is the, the belief and the hope, as you mentioned, the continental free trade area still is in development, but the belief and the hope is that it will allow for greater regional resource um, integration As well as resource allocation, um, which will uh, have a ripple effect that will positively uh, influence the people on the continent to develop new areas of trade, to develop new areas of industrialization, and to remove the uh, dependency that Africa has had on a Western uh, centric uh, power block as it pertains to trade. And uh, the hope also that um, as African countries, communities, and Africa as a region um, becomes more uh, financially independent and develops a greater level of agency, that this will mitigate the um, economic driving factors that uh, allow for um, migration to, to take place. Essentially, if my economy is improving, um, then I am not as motivated to leave uh, a bustling economy in favor of going to another uh, African state where I might find um, that opportunity. Uh, so in short, the African free trade continent, the African free continental uh, trade area um, will essentially shrink the distance that has existed between um, African countries and communities. It will open up uh, channels of trade and it will decrease the dependency that we have um, in the neoliberal uh, world in which we find ourselves on the West um, and therefore uh, create a space where Africans can benefit from what Africa has to offer.
0: Yeah, no, it it is quite an exciting initiative, I must say. Um, I was reading a... um, an article the other day that was analyzing how this um, Western-centric model of of trade that still um, is in Africa as a result of you know um, colonialism and the effects of it, um, a country like Chad, which is so um, land uh, locked that they don't necessarily have ocean trade but they also quite a relatively dry area um it's become the capital city of chad has become one of the most expensive places actually in africa to live in um and a lot of people are moving away um from the urban cities to go more so to the rural areas again to do farming etc um because it's just not a sustainable model specifically in that country um so it'll be very interesting to see you know how the, the the free trade agreement um works in terms of an economic level but also very interesting to see how it will work in terms of a social level um on how africans interact with with other africans um in terms of uh, you know your conflict ridden areas which you know currently right now we have the situation in rwanda um and parts of congo um which is inherently you know, underneath it, one might argue that there's a tribalism issue going on there, but we know that it is an economic um, issue, um, the reasoning for that conflict happening there. Uh, But it would be very interesting to see how the social dynamics will work out at that point. But uh, I just want to go back, actually, to that first question I asked you about what does migration look like in the 21st century? And I want us to maybe project on the future. Given the context of climate change um and what climate change is doing to accelerate and to create somewhat new migration um issues not necessarily new but uh, migration issues that are a bit more proliferated than they would have been in the past so for example um how Pakistan had flooded and nearly 40 million people were displaced. Um, And as a result of that displacement, the climate has placed people in the position of having to move completely away from their countries. Um, And same thing is happening right now in Puerto Rico, um, along with many other countries uh, across the world because of what's going on in our environment. Um, Do you think that in the future we're going to start engaging with this migration thing beyond the traditional it's because of economics it's because of social um we now are perhaps going to have to be engaging with it on what are the effects climate is going to have in terms of how human beings because of evolution are going to be moving around the world right uh,
1: again it's, it's a it's a brilliant uh, question Um, The short answer is yes. I do think it will play a very major role. And uh, as we mentioned in the beginning in the 21st century, the role of migration and the way in which it manifests is uh, always shifting. We've seen this in nature already. Um, There's very popular images in circulation of a polar bear on a singular ice cap that seems to be floating in an endless ocean um, that, uh, seemingly came out of nowhere due to ice caps, uh, melting. Um, we've seen that, uh, animals that would, uh, not appear in, um, certain areas are suddenly drawn, um, to areas where they can better acclimate to a changing, uh, climate in many countries where, um, there is a very close link between urban areas and nature. We are seeing animals encroach more and more and more into urban areas. I saw a documentary on a troop of monkeys um, in, I believe, India, it was that um, had essentially had their ecosystem change. And uh, they've now adapted to um, living in urban areas where you'll find they're so comfortable um, with. cities and city life and humans that um, they have literally created or adapted to a new uh, way to function. And what we are seeing, what we see now and what we will continue to see is that um, in future, this will develop more, particularly on the point of uh, climate change. Um, As we mentioned, quite a number of factors that contribute to migration. find among those factors are the environmental factors where we see climate change playing a very prolific role. Um, In areas where drought becomes more uh, prevalent, uh, people will migrate. In areas where we see flooding occur, people will migrate. Um, This is both inter- and intrastate migration. Um, And there, I'll give a very Western-centric example, I believe, it was Los Angeles, if not Las Vegas, that had high level of flooding um, recently, levels that they had never seen before. Um, And uh, many of the residents had taken up moving across uh, state lines um, to seek a better life. Uh, So how much more so when your country, your state, um, is changing in such a way that the only option that you do have is to move uh, across the border and seek Um, a a better life. Uh, We are seeing that the unit of analysis when we are discussing uh, migration is uh, shifting. Um, So normally the unit of analysis was always pertaining to um, people and uh, how they relate to both economics and how they relate to uh, force factors in whatever form they might be. Um, Climate change is very quickly uh, changing that Um, Another example is uh, various entities, NGOs, and particularly the civil society sector, um, have been engaged in fundraising efforts um, to try and uh, prepare for an influx of immigrants, particularly for um, immigrants who were escaping because of environmental factors caused by climate change. Uh, we are seeing in some uh, countries the legislation itself is shifting to to address this. A very silly example is if you have to tick on a box um, and your options are forced factors or economic factors and neither one seems to apply to you, then we have to create a third box um, that you will be able to tick that applies to your situation. And um, with this silly example, we are seeing that Uh, terms of climate change, it is uh, what is occurring. And it allows us to identify that these matters are intersectional, um, because it might be climate, but there might be a crossover between climate and finance might be a crossover between climate and war. Um, There might be a crossover between uh, social factors and economic factors and climate based factors. Um, That we see in uh, the environment, Um, so it is a there is a great level of fluidity when it comes to migration within the twenty first century, and I think one of the most prevalent places we are seeing that is in the climate sector.
0: Right, David. Before I let you go, I've got one last question for you. Um, You can't be on a democracy development program uh, podcast without talking about democracy. And the question that I just want to ask is, given the work that you are involved with, with the Center of Mediation in Africa, um, how would you project the relationship between migration and democracy from a South African perspective, but overall on the African continent as a whole?
1: Right. thank you for that. It's, it's, it's an excellent uh, question. Um, so within the Center for Mediation in Africa, what we do is uh, we seek to essentially bolster mediation on the African continent um, through academia, through practice, through teaching, and um, through uh, kind of reimagining and reevaluating what mediation looks like in the 21st century. So very topical in terms of our conversation. Um, One of the issues that uh, we look at uh, within mediation is that of uh, transitional justice. And um, for any who might not be familiar, transitional justice is essentially the process of ensuring um, that due diligence and a just uh, set of procedures and processes have been followed um, from uh, one level of transition to another. So this can be the transition from a uh, conflict situation, such as a civil war, a post conflict situation, such as a space where a, a transitional government must be set up to carry a country forward after um, a, a conflict uh, had uh, taken place. Now, the way this links uh, to democracy is you will find within the transitional justice process, in the African contextuality in particular, transitional justice recognizes retributive justice but leans more towards restorative justice. And essentially the difference there is, think of the Nuremberg trials that uh, took place against Nazi Germany. The focus there was retributive, uh, to punish people for wrongdoings. That was a form of justice that was very prevalent. What we are seeing now in the African contextuality is we have um, these amazing philosophies such as that of Ubuntu, which says, I am what I am because of who you are. That's where we see restorative justice uh, playing a very uh, prominent role with the belief that um, a greater emphasis should be placed on reconciliation, but also on reintegration. Now, the reconciliation and reintegration is very important because it has to do with how the society functions, how society is made up, the the makeup of of society. That society um, in a post-conflict situation um, must have the ability to make a choice and to make a conscientious decision because that will determine who is in power. And those in power determine uh, the policy uh, parameters um, as it pertains to uh, very key issues such as migration. Therefore, having the previously marginalized involved in a transitional justice process uh, represented in a mediation process allows for a greater level of representation. That representation often translates into their ability to be recognized in a society, in a post-conflict situation, where they're eligible to participate in the democratic process of voting, and through that democratic process, are then able um, to have an influence on um, key issues such as uh, migration particularly from the perspective of um, offenders that have been reintegrated into the communities and uh, victims that have suffered uh, some kind of um, offense uh, that has marginalized them uh, and affected their agency. So it gives people back their agency, those that were victims, those that uh, were offenders in a way that promotes unity Um, to be reflected at the highest levels. I think that's the effect that we see um, in terms of mediation, uh, how that would manifest in democracy, and that would have a direct effect on uh, matters uh, such as migration.
0: Sure, Um, thank you, David, so much for all of that. Um, I think this was a very fruitful conversation. could definitely go on for much longer um but i think we can we can definitely just end it here um to everybody that was listening in please do feel free to give us your commentary on how you found this podcast um your views actually on um some of the topics that we were discussing over here um we are much more likely going to have this type of conversation again in the future um and your contributions and your views from the audience would be really lovely um to hear exactly what it is you would like us to discuss a bit further uh, regarding this topic but with that being said uh david thank you so much for for joining us today i i really do uh, appreciate it um to those who are obviously listening to the podcast is currently just waved goodbye um if you're watching it on youtube you just saw he just waved goodbye um but yeah we really do appreciate david like i said the migration uh, conference is happening on the 29th of september uh you are free to join us over zoom Free to join us on Facebook Live, and we will also be live streaming it on YouTube. Um, And the link details regarding that conference are going to be attached below this podcast. If you miss it, that's simply okay. The recording will already be available for you on our YouTube page of the live stream. Uh, With that being said, thank you very much, everybody. I will see you in our next podcast segment. Well, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. Check out our social media pages at ddp underscore democracy to engage with more of our content. Or you can head on over to our website at ddp.org.za to keep up with any events that we might have planned for you. Thank you once again for joining us.